Hello, welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today's show, I have Matthew Unger, CEO of iComply. iComply is a modern, know your client and anti-money laundering platform that helps enable financial institutions of all sizes to faster and more easily deploy these types of solutions. And with that, here's my interview with Matthew. Hello, Matthew. Good day, Jason. How are you? Good. Thanks for taking the time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So Matthew Unger, CEO of iComply Investor Services. Tell us about iComply. Yeah, so our focus at iComply is to provide clients with a global, scalable, intuitive compliance administrator. So it's really something that does, uh, our system does a lot of the very mundane, heavy, heavy lifting that compliance team uh, has to kind of do in order to sift through all the needles or, or to find, sift through all the haystacks and, and find the needles. Uh, and it's really you know, our role with our system is to really streamline each stage of the compliance journey from onboarding all the way to customer data retention policies, et cetera. Okay. So before we dive into how you do that, because that's a, <laughs> sounds simple enough and it's a complex issue. Tell me about the history of iComply. What was the origin of it? What was the history? What led you to create it? Yeah, it's interesting. I actually exited a, a fintech platform in 2014, I guess it was. And one of the things that had occurred there is, you know, as any fintech has to do, you have to build in a lot of compliance. And we built in the compliance workflows for the, we started the company in Canada. So it was for the Canadian regulatory requirements. And when you're dealing with onboarding an individual, performing identity verification, screening them for money laundering risk, maintaining KYC records, uh, any of these different things actually have different types of legislation and they change by jurisdiction. So as we were looking to expand into a new market into the US, we realized that we had to re-engineer the back end. And then it had to be dynamic to know when to support a client from Canada and do things the Canadian way versus do things in the American way. And we started to realize how complicated this was. So that learning really led me down the path of looking at things, uh, legislation from an angle of could we program this, could we create programmatic rule sets that allow you to be dynamic. So when you onboard a user, if your bank serves clients in six countries, can you maintain all those different jurisdictional logic for each user while still only supporting kind of one implementation in your website, not having to build new brands, new sites for each country, et cetera. So that's really what started us. We, we started in 2017. We were actually focusing a lot on kind of the early stage fintech market, a lot of players in the virtual asset space. We actually are very involved with the Financial Action Task Force and several regulators uh, related towards uh, definitions of virtual assets and requirements for regulations, et cetera. But that was really the focus of that market was because they just had no proper compliance tools. If you see any of the KYC tools used in that market, there's a reason they aren't used by traditional institutions. Your data is being sent all over the world. Uh, you know, there's there's hot or not for compliance where somebody gets paid two cents to sit and look at the screen and call that facial matching. But if you onboard a user from Canada, from Europe, from California, where the data protection regulation is, is more severe, you could... Mm -hmm. Every instance that your system breaks these rules could be worth a $20 million fine in the case of the EU per instance. So, and that's the minimum Yikes. fine. So, you know, from our perspective, we really saw that things like KYC, things like compliance need to have a fresh look at how we handle users' data, user privacy. And that's really what led us down this path. Fast forward three years to today, and we moved a lot beyond just the fintech space. COVID has really pushed a lot of institutions and very established institutions that maybe uh, were fine with brick and mortar storefronts and onboarding clients, you have to go into the branch. And now all of a sudden, mm -hmm. they can't do that anymore. So it's kind of moved them into the space of needing to get into uh, handling compliance in a digital way. 
And I would also say we've seen a lot of more uh, focus from actually more traditional tech players, such as single sign-on providers, identity access mm -hmm. management, for things like managing remote workers, managing clients across seas, and just making sure that those identity profiles are secure and that the user behind the screen is the same user that you're contracting through your platform or e-signature or whatever it is service that you're providing. Yeah. Well, I mean, COVID has been the perfect storm of disruption in that space, right? It's like when you take away the the old-fashioned way of doing things, uh, everybody's forced, hopefully, to move into the future. That said, though, funny story, I actually tweeted out a um, or blasted out an insurance company for for basically saying they were going back to physical delivery of documents. <laughs> it's just like, and the digital would only be on an on-request basis. I'm just sitting there going, like, you got to be kidding me. So that's just a side note about how ridiculous my universe is. So let's let's go into um, what it is you actually do to fix this. I mean, this is this is not a small problem. Like extreme, like everybody likes the idea of streamlining KYC, AML, all important functions, necessary evil in some ways, but you know, protect us in other ways. Like that is a lot of areas to touch. So what is it that you've done that is different than other vendors out there that basically mm -hmm. is is enabling this to happen with less pain? That's a great question. So we, I would say one of the primary things that we do that's quite unique is we're looking at the at compliance in a very holistic sense. Many vendors in the market will do something like document authentication. I'm going to verify that mm -hmm. your document is real. So you buy their API service, you set, you do the setup, you handle the implementation, et cetera. Now you have one thing. And in most vendors, whether it's identity verification, document authentication, biometrics, et cetera, they have several common things. One, you have to buy it and implement, you could implement two dozen different systems just to support one or two jurisdictions, depending on which jurisdiction and, and what you all need to do. So that becomes very complicated. And many people will buy one service because they say, oh, this one does uh, liveness. But then they, as they're doing the implementation, the general counsel or the compliance officer or their independent auditor looks at it and says, guys, yeah, they do liveness, but they're sending this UK citizens data to Indonesia for someone to review. Yep. And they have no way of authenticating the user behind the screen who's actually performing the KYC checks. So you run into these types of problems when you have these API services. It's very time consuming to set up. It's very expensive. And you kind of build a bit of a Frankenstein solution. So what we did is we wanted to take a very holistic look, not just, it's not just about onboarding the client because you may have that client for a couple of years and their passport expires. You may need to do a periodic review or a, another uh, AML screen on them on a periodic basis. And so what our system does is manage those as workflows and really help to take someone through different stages of verification, as well as re-authentications. Uh, so a good example of this would be with our tool, rather than implementing a whole bunch of APIs, you copy and paste a snippet of code, JavaScript into your website, and mm -hmm. that builds, a, now you have a KYC portal. And so mm -hmm. if a user goes so into that KYC portal- So strike approach, you basically created a simple plugin that they can basically put exactly. that in there, but it gets you into your, it gets you into your full data flow. But then exactly. So once you have that secure encrypted portal built, now mm -hmm. it's clicks, not code to handle configurations. If you want to change how you handle the data of somebody from South Africa, you go in and we make those changes in the back end. So you don't have to worry about all sorts of SDKs and APIs and when to adjust your logic. You can handle that in the back end, configure your workflows by jurisdiction, by risk level, et cetera. And that allows the system to be very dynamic. So mm -hmm. uh, an example in this case is, let's say you wanted to onboard a new client, they go to the KYC portal in your website or in your mobile application and they get started. 
you know, what becomes very unique about how we process things is we, rather than saying, send your most sensitive, your client's most sensitive information to us, and we're going to tell you if it's good, and then we're going to send you a response back. What we actually do is we send the verification program into the browser of the client. So all of their data stays on their device. Stays within there. Their mm -hmm. personal information. So it never leaves their jurisdiction. It doesn't even... We can just send you the response without the data and remove all data protection and privacy risk because the data has, it's easy to prove the data hasn't left the device. Now, in the case of many financial services, they want that data so it can go straight from the user, from the user's device, straight onto our client's server. And it doesn't need to come to iComply. So let me uh, see if so I have this fully straight just to make sure I frame mm -hmm. this right for everybody listening because there's some, some big talk yeah, here. Apologies. So essentially what you're saying is you built a, an interface that to the financial institution user really is, I won't say no code, but it's basically visual, more visual, more block-like. Uh, they get to basically drag and drop and, and without code design their process. You either through having built the no code platform or then basically adjusting your platform on the back end basically will then meet the needs of that workflow. And that's, so that's their end. The experience from the standpoint of the end consumer is one where verification is happening locally on their device. And therefore, again, like you said, jurisdictionally, there's, there's no, nothing's crossing borders. You're fine. So instead of data being pushed out, it's actually being, being used to ping data to come back to verify them. So it's a little bit of you've changed the, the locus of basically domesticity or locus of, 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 of uh, oh, just the locus. <laughs> That's what you should be saying. The, yeah, you the change the locus of where the data is. Yeah, exactly. And, and then whatever data based on the jurisdiction that financial institutions entitled to will then be get sent, sent through to them after the fact or, or as part of that entire process. Interesting. I mean, is a geez, I mean, you, you, you pair together a number of technological solutions into a, a more smarter, more easy to deploy and more compliant system. Well done. Thank you. It's been, uh, <laughs> it's been three years of, of, you know, very heavy lifting. And to be honest, uh, what we call client side processing was something that technologically was impossible a year and a half ago. It's only become possible over the last while as we have innovations in browsers, et cetera. And, mm. and it will only become more, I think, this trend of, of what we've established here with iComply of how we do things. The end user doesn't have to go to an app store and install an app. This just all happens on their device. So as we see, you know, in a couple of years down the road, things like 5G happening, there will be just more and more opportunity to be better at how we handle data, the location of where the data is processed, et cetera, because we don't have these old dependencies before where you needed a massive server to run facial recognition. Well, now my iPhone will do that for me. So why not send the facial recognition program onto the device and have all that data managed locally, which actually also improves the user experience in jurisdictions where there's bandwidth issues. I can give you a really great example. One of the jurisdictions that tested our system quite hard was Germany. So if you're in rural Germany, the internet connection can be incredibly difficult, but we put a live video facial recognition program onto the device rather than you having to live stream video up to our server. So it actually ends up being a much smarter way to handle upload and downloads as well. At the end of the day, you're still pushing some form of data into the cloud to feedback something to verify. It's just, so you imagine to do that though, without without basically running afoul of putting out too much data or the wrong kind, is that it? 
Yeah, so we look at it. So there's, keep in mind, it's an optional thing because you could take yeah. the person's name and, and all this, their driver's license, photo, passport, et cetera, yeah. and move that straight into our back end and have our mm -hmm. back end run additional services for you. But that is a client's decision on how they want to have that stuff handled. The way our system works, and I'll give you an example, is if you've ever done KYC online, you know, there's an enter your name and your email and enter your address. So what we actually do is, let's say, for example, you say that your address is in Canada, in the province of Ontario. The next screen that you see in the workflow, as far as a user, it feels very similar to what you already know. The next screen that you see will look at that, will look and say, okay, this person's in Canada, in Ontario. So based on that, we support the provincial identity card, the health card, the driver's license, and the passport. So pick one of these options, and let's say the user picks the passport. Well, because we already have the address information, what we tell our system is we are expecting to see a passport that should match the Canadian passport file. Mm -hmm. Please send us the Canadian passport verification program and the template, the government issued template of the Canadian passport. We load that into the user's browser and then it's actually matched on their device. So all of that performance, how to analyze the document, the specific program to analyze a Canadian passport, as well as the template is all pushed onto the user's device as they're interacting, inputting their information. We're continually recalculating to say, oh, you know what? We noticed that this individual is, is doing this and there's, you know, these three parameters have changed. So when these parameters change, we need a proof of address document added. But why make every user have to do that extra step if it's not required? So we call it exceptions-based compliance. You know, make mm -hmm. a happy path very easy. But then if there are problems, which in KYC there often are, uh, how do we make it so that's really easy to identify the underlying issue? You know, sift through the, the noise and, and really find out what is the key information. Is it a user error? Is it fraud? Is it just a, mm -hmm. a data issue? And then immediately move beyond that solve the issue and continue to move through the user through that KYC process. Interesting. So yeah, this entire kind it's rep, it's kind of bending my brain a little bit to push all that out into the user's browser and do it, but it makes a lot of sense. And as you said before, that would have necessitated an app because otherwise you, how else are you going to get that much, <laughs> that much of your system onto somebody, but you're right. As, as speeds increase, as the technology increases that this kind of, it's interesting, not so much thin client system, but almost pushing out a small fat client system onto someone and then back comes back. And we just got into, I just got a tech process and we get away from that. So the other thing, so one of the things you mentioned that kind of came up to, came to mind was when things go right and you stay along the golden path, it's usually a very clean experience. When things go wrong, that's when fair to say a lot of you tech companies just start, the experience starts getting super painful. So how have you addressed the exceptions of this, because I'm sure anyone who's, I'll use the simplest example of someone who should have it right, but has it completely wrong because I beat up on them awful a lot, Equifax. The number of times that people have been like, I can't get into my Equifax report because they seem to think I live at a different address or they seem to think I, you know, I couldn't answer this about this one question or they're like asking you to verify, do you have a debt with these companies? And one of those companies, maybe you do have a debt with one of them, but it's, it's, it's not the company on the card's name, right? So you're just, you're not really following it, right? And the number of times people run into problems with this, it's insane. So it's like, how do you prevent that kind of terrible experience? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's a couple of things there, and I think it's a great example. The service of Equifax, uh, and I'm going to pick uh, the Canadian jurisdiction as one example. It does change by jurisdiction. UK is actually very similar to Canada. But the way the regulations work is if you provide certain qualified pieces of ID in Canada, you can take that data and you can check it with certain types of institutions. Equifax is one of them. And in fact, in Canada, I believe there's only two institutions 
until recently, it was Equifax and TransUnion were prescribed. They were the only ones approved to provide that service. So it, it creates, a, like you said, it creates these problems. Now, the first thing is, is checking your address. So that really comes, you say my address is at 123 Any Street. Equifax says, no, it's 123 Somewhere Street. And now you run into a, this problem. If you're using an Equifax or any sort of identity verification API solution, you come back with mm -hmm. a fail. If you use our system, you have something that comes back and is escalated in review. We show the data discrepancy. And then it may be a good point for you to say, tell the client, hey, look, the address is wrong. Please send us a recent phone bill, bank statement, et cetera, in the last three months that shows your new address. And then you can actually accept that new address change. And the data in your system is actually front running what Equifax uh, has available. So that's an example of where you can use an Equifax service, a telco service, any sort of uh, service that has a third-party data verification service like this. And the key being that if the data matches, great, happy path. If the data doesn't match, how do we elegantly handle that exception? And so what that does is it escalates it to the compliance team and they're very easily able to see, hey, there's a data mismatch and they are very easily able to ask the client to prove their side of the story. And it, it, we see this not just in Equifax data, but we also see this with Moody's data as an example for corporates, where a lot of times directors and officers and shareholders lists could be 15 months old, depending on when that corporation filed, the jurisdiction that they're in, et cetera. Uh, the other thing is with corporate data, look at systems like Companies House, the UK directory of corporations. You can go through there and you can find board of directors of companies whose date of birth is in the year of 2050. So there's no validation in that data. And if this information was incorrect when it was added into these systems, then it all of a sudden creates these KYC headaches for people on an ongoing basis, right? Now your data is wrong and you go to the bank and then you try to get a mortgage and it's just complication after complication and everybody hates the process of KYC because of it. So what we really try to do is have that profile on that individual so that they can say, hey, no, that was my address, but and we're not going to tell them what address we have, but they're saying, this is our current address. And we say, hey, that doesn't match. Can you prove that this is your current address? And that actually, those types of workflows largely come because, you know, I myself have had to run my own compliance team. I previously was a broker here in Canada and, uh, as a wealth manager, and we had problems with KYC sometimes. And very rarely do problems in KYC mean that you have, that your client is doing something wrong or is a bad actor. Usually yeah. it comes it's down just to just... Exactly. And so yeah. removing a lot of the data entry, putting some of the onus on the client and using client-side verification, what the other benefit of client-side verification does is we can perform initial validation on the data that the user is inputting. And when the user inputs data that doesn't seem to check out, we can immediately ask the user to correct it while they're at that form field. So for a user experience perspective, it feels a lot more like when you walk into a branch and then you sit down in front of the person and say, hey, I want to open an account. They say, I'd like to see a piece of ID. You show them a piece of ID and they ask you, is this your current address? You say, no, it's been updated. Okay, well, mm -hmm. we're going to need something that proves that piece of address. That workflow is handled thousands of times a day in the branch by a knowledgeable person. But the API-based KYC workflows, what they do is they send the data, they bypass the person in the front of the house. 
and they yes. send the data straight to the back office and then they say, sorry, we reject your account because there's a KYC problem. They digitize the old experience and cut out the human being, right? So they cut out the person who was basically triaging the entire situation, right? So going to a situation where you're trying to, you recreated the triage agent essentially. That's, yeah, so the, and, and in that case, that's really the administrator in our system would, would create the triage rules. And then the verification program that runs on the user's device is, is performing that, uh, those checks, et cetera. And what we've seen is that typically, depending on which service you're using, you could be anywhere from 40 to 60% of your cases can get through. And then the mm. rest you have problems with. So really? So no, you're still looking at almost the majority of cases, there's some sort of deficiency somewhere? Depending on the vendor you use. Yeah, very much so, wow. very much so. Yeah, and that doesn't even count for the fact that when you use an API service, it processes everything the same. So if you say, I want to process Americans data, they give you an American instance license, yeah. et cetera. And now you say, I want to process data from UK residents. They go, oh, well, we have a different module for you. And next thing you know, it's a minimum three-year contract, $100,000 a year becomes fine for a bulge bracket firm yeah. that wants to build the entire thing in-house, but it's not possible for a wealth manager who has four people on their team. No, it's a uh, you know, classic classic enterprise sales, right? Like, yeah, they price for that level, but uh, yeah, if you're talking, if you're talking about dealing with small scale, just investment houses, like you said, four people on a team, it's a non-starter, that's a non-starter. So before we wrap up, there's three questions I ask everybody. The first question I ask is if you had one wish for something you could change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be? Maybe better standards would be a good word for it uh, in how we handle or users' what? data. <laughs> yeah, in how we handle users' yeah. data within KYC. Yeah. And what I mean by that is we sometimes with KYC in many jurisdictions, as an example for GDPR, many firms will say, well, this is for the purpose of KYC, which is lawful processing. Therefore, yeah. I can do all this extra stuff. And I really feel like we need to make a change to put the power of their own data back into the hands of the individual. And that does, that will create uh, some challenges in the architecture of how a lot of firms run things, but it will also provide some very good benefits in the area of risk management. Because if you as an individual maintain one KYC profile, imagine, for example, your KYC suitability questionnaire, you go to one investment advisor who you have half of your money with, and they say, hey, what's your net worth and your investable assets? You say half a million. You go to the other guy and you say, what's your, and you invest half a million with them. You go to another guy and you say, he says on his say, client suitability questionnaire, what's your net worth? What's your investable assets? You say half a million there and you give him half a million. Well, in reality, it's actually a $1 million portfolio. And so whatever you're investing on either side of the, with either of those investors is actually 50% of your portfolio, which changes all sorts of legal and compliance issues around suitability versus if you could say, I have already completed a KYC profile last uh -huh. week. I did it at Scotiabank, yep. but now I want to onboard for, I want to be a client of Faskin and they're using this tool. So now I want to just take the information from Scotiabank that I input and relay yep. that over here. Now you have a consolidated KYC profile and the user has control and knows who's processing their data for what purpose. I would say right now, that's probably one of the biggest areas in the industry that I would love to see change. Uh, it's an area that we are working towards, but it is a big challenge. Yeah, well, I mean, digital identity issues have been the forefront of, of major concerns and desires for a long time, but it's not one that can get fixed overnight, uh, no. especially the portability aspect. So second question I have for you is, what's been the biggest challenge in getting the company to where it is today? 
our biggest challenge probably when we started, we were looking at the early stage fintech market, uh, players in virtual assets uh, didn't really have any tools for compliance. And then that market really basically vaporized in the course of three months, uh, dropped by about 94% globally. So we had to very quickly reassess who we were going to take on as our initial clients. You know, the bulge bracket firms take three to five years to make purchasing decisions in many cases. COVID's accelerating mm-hmm. that. But we had to very quickly pivot and start focusing on a different market because our market just literally, uh, like I said, literally uh, vaporized over the course of three months. It was mm-hmm. timed very well with the release of a finished product. <laughs> and so we had to kind of come in and take that learning and re-engineer a lot of what we were doing to be more broadly applicable, which is what where we have the platform today, where we said, let's scrap the APIs. In fact, let's scrap the Ethereum smart contract work for the clients. And let's make this something that is, that's for the virtual asset players. We don't use anything like smart contracts in the more uh, mainstream platform, the KYC platform. But what we just saw was that there's, by changing this approach and going client side, we actually can have a lot more trust and integrity built into the process. So it took us about 15 months to re-engineer things and get it to the current state of where we have the platform today. And, you know, now we continue to, now really uh, a lot of the technical uncertainty is, is gone from that change. But now it's really, uh, you know, a lot of the features and the changes that we do are really driven by our existing clients that that want to see updates to the system, et cetera, which is a very good place to be compared to, you know, putting your finger into the wind and saying, I think this is what clients want versus having real paying clients that say, this would make my job so much easier. This would make your system much more valuable. Last question for you is what excites you the most about what it is you're working on and keeps getting out of bed every morning to fight the good fight? Excites me the most about this. There's a, there's a number of angles. I think one of the areas that we really we really see now, especially in the, the medium to large side of the market in financial services, is the old versus new. And I'll give you an example. One of the largest uh, commercial banking institutions in the U.S., they spend with staff and resources and office space, et cetera. Every client costs them approximately $30,000 per year to maintain KYC for their commercial banking. So it's an incredibly high High cost of cost per client. And this is one of the largest uh, and most well-known firms globally. And mm-hmm. this is, you know, this is commercial banking. This is the way it works. By comparison, we reduce the time and the cost associated with an account by over 99%. And it's only once people start seeing it's not just workflow, but it's also about filtering and scanning and optimizing how we use that data with things like artificial intelligence. So that can be something where you may have something like a biometric to do user identification. So you don't have to have somebody in a branch. Well, that's a layer of efficiency. But then if you have somebody manually taking your identity verification records and starting to manually in the system, you get into data processing errors, you get into all sorts of things like that. So mm-hmm. what I'm really excited is we show, it doesn't really matter at this stage which firms we show, we get very consistent feedback from compliance analysts, from corporate services firms, you know, people that their job is to process this, that they haven't seen a system in the market that takes this approach to compliance. And that gets me really excited because that we were really trying to do things differently. The way compliance was done 15 years ago when I did my first branch management KYC exam, compared to the way it's trying to be done digitally. In both cases, we see a lot of pain and and a lot of cumbersome processes. And we really have been looking at this, not just from the angle of how to make it easier, but also how to raise the bar. So whether that's how you use data or how you handle, as an example, we do support the ability for a user to take a selfie and upload it. But we do recommend our clients 
that using a live face match off of a live video feed where the client's interacting with the video is much yep. better and is much easier to audit in the future because you know exactly when this was taken. So there's things like that where that is our client's decision on how they want to roll that out. They go in one box in the back end and, and, and make that decision and, and you know, adjust uh, how live face matching is done. And then once they click save, that's pushed out into the environment. So it really comes down to these efficiency gains where I worked on a KYC implementation project for one of the larger institutions in Canada about eight years ago. And in the case of that project, it was three years of rollout, several years before I came into the project for planning. And all of the things that we were doing there would not be feasible to the bottom half of firms in the market. Whereas what we have, a startup can get signed up on an essentials account. And they can be live after an onboarding phone call. Uh, no different than if they sign up for DocuSign, Carta, MailChimp, et cetera. We really want to make this something that meets kind of the modern expectation of internet delivered services. Excellent. I mean, it's not one, you know, it's not one we stop and think of as, you know, it should be as easy as a, you know, Stripe plugin. But you think about how market expanding that can be and how much of an obstacle this stuff is to the companies in the financial institution when I get started, it's, um, I know several robos that would have loved if you existed back in the day and just off the top of my head, right? Anyway, so Matthew, thank you very much for your time. Very much appreciate that and keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Jason. It was a pleasure and uh, you yeah. as well. So that was my interview with Matthew Unger of iComply. I hope you enjoyed that. And if you are in the market for this type of solution, I hope you take a look at it in particular, just because of the levels of pain that they seem to have taken away from uh, the traditional process. And with that, as always, this has been FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.